So you wanna watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's Dartboard Movie Night What's going on everyone? I'm Drew And I'm Jared And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night The podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide This week we cover the winner of the 1969 Best Foreign Film Oscar And one of the most scathing indictments of nationalism and police states ever put to film We're talking Zed, or to Americanize it, Z Directed by Costa Gavras and starring an expansive cast that we are going to struggle to credit properly today, Jared (laughs) Dude, an impossible for us to credit type of movie, man. All there's so many names in this big sprawling movie, and they're all many of them are French names. And it's just hard to figure out who's who. So we're gonna have a fun naming convention when we get to well, it. Well, and most of the characters don't actually have names, mm-hmm. and like it, it's not. There's no real central uh, main character in it. So it's it's sprawling and it's going in all these different directions and. Yeah, uh, we're, yeah. we're going to struggle through it, guys, but uh, we're, we're hopefully going to give you enough context clues to, to let you know who we're talking about. Crazy, dude. Just as you're saying it now, I'm just seeing how similar it is to Nashville in some ways. Sure. I didn't, yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah. think of that at all until you just mentioned it. Well, there's that, but I think I think a better comparison, I mean, I mean, the vibes I was getting when I was watching this were these like big procedurals. Like, you know, one of the early, early movies that Jared and I did as a test record was we were watching a couple of Godzilla movies and we watched Shin Godzilla. And I feel like in some ways that's a little bit, Mm -hmm. it it feels like that movie was somewhat inspired by this um, in the sense of like that movie is really about the bureaucratic, you know, machinations going on behind the scenes of like this event that's happening. And like, this is not the same thing. This is more, much more of a procedural kind of investigative movie but in the same way, you've got all these different factions and, and, and yeah. segments of, of the government that are all talking together and, and trying to, you know, get to the bottom of like what they need to do to, to deal with the situation at hand. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I was I was getting vibes like that in this. Totally. And, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I love it because it's so organic. The. It reminds me of a show I know you and I both loved, Drew, a miniseries. Chernobyl is like that, yeah. too. Yeah, Just yeah, yeah. Whole That one has like, more of a central character, but I, I, I see what tr- you're saying true, for true. sure. It does but jump But in terms of more. like showing the absurdity of some of the things that are weighed in the decision-making at higher levels and what is prioritized versus other things and mm-hmm. the ridiculousness of that um, reminded me of that. But yeah, dude, this is going to be a fun chat, I think. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. Before we get into that, though... Shall we do a quick board review? Love it. Right now on the board, we've got number one, The Brothers Bloom. Number two, Don't Look Now. Number three, Zed, today's episode. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Capote. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Alligator. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Dirty Dancing. Number 14, Straight Time. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, Altered States. I'll tell you right now, Drew, and I don't want to lay any track for any fishiness, all of those movies sound good to me, but I am in the mood for Get Carter. That's been on there for a while. I want to get to Get Carter soon. Off the back of this, I would love to do Seven Days in May coming up because these are, in some ways, we'll get to it when we talk about Seven Days in May, but they they feel they feel of a piece to me. 
Mm. Yeah, they, again, they're all they all sound like bangers. Friends of Eddie Coyle was another one I was thinking of too. I'm looking forward to that as well. But like, yeah, I like the sort of thematic connections that we might get with Seven Days in May. But I'm just in the mood for Michael Caine. Give me the Caine. Let's get to it. But in the meantime, today's episode's on a movie called Z or Z. It's another single letter movie. <laughs> It's the second one we've covered on the show that it's like so hard to Google. Was M forty nine or fifty one? I can't remember. I think it was like the fiftieth, maybe. No. It was like the uh, last. Oh, oh movie you're talking I about bet. numbers in, in in terms of what we hit. Yeah, it was number yeah, fifty. Yeah. It was the last one we covered before the Unis. Right. So it's not quite two single lettered movie names in the same batch, but it's pretty damn close. And it's just so funny when we get these confusing ones. I think I'm going to go with Z. For the duration of this conversation, pronunciation-wise, because that no, is the dude, English it's, it's a European production. Z is how you say Z over there. I know, but on an interview on the Criterion with the director in English, he was saying Z. So I think it's one of those ones that he that mm. it adapts based on what you you know where you're from or what you do or the language you're in. All right, well, so I'm, I'm not gonna... a, I'm not opposed to Z. I think it's a good balance. If you go Z and I go Z. All right. Well, I'm going to be the snooty intellectual then and call it Z. I'm going to be the, the for the people blue collar. Going well, with Z, baby. That definitely <laughs> defines our, our personalities as a friend, uh, <laughs> friend duo. <laughs> so sure, let's do it. <laughs> um, you want to give us a quick streaming check on Z or Z? Hell yeah, dude. 1969's Z or Z. Currently available on HBO Max and the Criterion channel. So if you have those platforms, you're good to go. And then pay to rent in other places, Amazon, Apple, stuff like that. So... Uh, like Drew said, this was a, an Academy Award nominee at the time. Really winner. impactful movie. Winner of, yeah, and, and um, actually, too, winner of Best Foreign Language Film, like you said, Drew, and first foreign language film to ever get nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. So really big movie that kind of simmered and grew, and man, oh, man, is it relevant today, to say the least. So uh, really... Uh, should have no trouble finding this one, other than the difficulty of searching it on Google or a, or a bar, because it's a t- it's tricky in that way. Yeah, um, we should also mention uh, weirdly, even though this is, you know, in French language and uh, Costa Gavras, the filmmaker, is is French Greek, uh, you know, in terms of his nationality, um, it's actually an Algerian production. And, uh, yeah, so this was the foreign language submission. So for those who don't know, when it comes to the Oscars foreign language category, every country is allowed to submit one movie. And Mm. this was Algeria's uh, entry in in this particular Oscars, which is really interesting. So Algeria won an Oscar uh, because of this. So, yeah. Hell yeah, dude. That's great. And I did not know that. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's weird. That's how that works. I mean, like, technically, like, the filmmaker accepts the Oscar, but the Oscar goes to Algeria. It doesn't go Mm. to the filmmaker. That's cool. So they got one in the trophy case. They do. Good for Algeria. Good for Algeria. <laughs> We've always supported Algeria on this show. <laughs> Big Algeria stands here on Dark Huge, huge. Comes up every week. It's the PTA of countries on this show. The PTA of countries. All right. Um, so actually, I don't know if we said this yet, Drew, but Zed, I'll use your name in honor of your choice, is a Drew Clark movie. Uh, begs the question, the traditional dartboard movie night question, how did this movie get on your radar and how did it get on the board? So this is um, a, a product of a filmmaker recommendation. 
which is, you know, a pretty, pretty usual way that things get on for us. I feel like, um, this one though, does not come from our, our boy PTA comes from another one of our, our favorite filmmakers, uh, William Friedkin. Now I went through a little phase during COVID where I got really into Billy Friedkin and watched, you know, the exorcist for the first time, which was a huge shamer of mine watched to live and die in LA watched uh, a few others of his, but, uh, or I guess the French connection was another one that that's major. Um, but then I watched Sorcerer, which is one of our favorite movies is it and ever? was so blown away and so obsessed with that movie that I went on a deep dive of just YouTube videos of Billy Friedkin and interviews and, you know, commentary tracks and, and what have you. And, I don't. I, I wish I still had the exact video. Um, I didn't. I didn't have enough time this week to kind of dig through YouTube and figure out which one it was where he referenced this. But there was one where an interviewer asked him about his influences, and the movie that the movies that he was thinking about when he was making Sorcerer and Zed was one of the first ones that he brought up. The way he was describing it as this very, you know, gritty, realistic portrayal of, uh, you know, a political uprising and or, or not political uprising rather, but but like how you're do talking I say about this? the the like the the police state and the fascistic nature of a the sort of the like South American situation at the start of Sorcerer and the based on reality stuff in this uh, Greece setting mm-hmm. are. Are pretty similar in terms. Well, of, I want to be clear. They, they make control. They make a distinct point of not referencing what the country is that this movie takes place in. So this is kind Which of like was, a. It's it's meant to be ambiguous and it's meant to be kind of like applicable to a lot of different right. uh, uh, situations. Um, it, it's they they specifically like strip names and and countries and and everything out mm-hmm. of this movie so that it can be more. Uh, um, widely applicable to different yeah, situations. Yeah, this could happen anywhere. That is yet another example of like a com- sorcerer comparison that's coming to mind just as you brought this up because I didn't know this. And it's making total sense because uh, the South American country in Sorcerer is totally unnamed as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, also the way the uh, sort of demonstrations gone wrong scenes remind me a lot of how Friedkin chose to go about it too like whether it's the bombing at the beginning of sorcerer i was gonna say the bombing scenes yeah. really felt of, of a piece with this but totally yeah. and also the uh like after the oil explosion when the town is in mourning and they're attacking the the military vehicles in sorcerer mm. reminds me a lot of this too so i'm seeing a lot of comparisons now that you mention it and it makes a lot of sense yeah but i think i think you know also just as a filmmaker i think uh freed can really adapted a lot of uh, Costa Gavra's uh, camera techniques. And we'll get to that when we you know, start talking about it, because I, I think a, a, a really interesting thing about this movie is how he uses a camera in this. But but yeah, I, I, that's kind of where it came from. It was a Billy Friedkin recommendation. And, you know, it's I'm I feel like in terms of international cinema, I mean, I'm I'm underviewed generally on, on pretty much everything outside the U.S. Yeah, I just I I, I, I feel like I haven't really dug into French cinema enough. So this was mm-hmm. one that I, I wanted to check out because, it, again, it's just like it checks a lot of boxes for me. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's how it got on the board. And so you knew going in that it was going to be, to some degree, a uh, exploration of 
fascistic and police state governance and uh, a movie kind of taking those ideas on. That was somewhat apparent to you before firing it up? Definitely. Cool. Yeah. And also the second movie that Billiam... Uh, Billiam. Also the second... <laughs> Billiam. Maybe I'll call him that from now on. Also, recent rest, rest in peace. Relatively recently passed away, Billy Friedkin. But um, it's also the second William Friedkin recommendation we've hit so far. Uh, the first being Killing of a Chinese Bookie. That was also one that uh, I had seen Friedkin give a shout-out to mm-hmm. in an in interview. So uh, guys got good taste. I mean, that, one's, that movie's a little... Uh, trickier, I would argue, than this one in terms of my feelings about it. But overall, I really did dig it, and it was very unique. Um, and this is, uh, I think, a, a, well, we'll get to our thoughts, but I think it's a good pick by Billy and and by you. Yeah, I, you know, and I also really like the kind of gritty. I, I don't know. When I put this on, we were it, it was the episode where we covered Fitzgeraldo and Burden of Dreams, and and it went on in place of that, and. I don't know. I, f- I feel like there's there's elements of, of that in this too, where it's just like this like uh, immersive experience where the camera just mm. kind of like feels like it's it's just experiencing these events w- and you're just there with these people. And and mm. I think um, that was that was part of the inspiration as well. And I and I think that held up when I watched this. So mm. very cool. I think it's about that time, Drew. If you're ready, what was your Overall reaction to Z or Z? I really loved it. It's a movie that, you know, I, I think it's not one that I'm going to hold close to my heart as far as like one that I'm going to want to revisit a bunch. <clears throat> I think mainly because the movie is so uninterested in, in, being a character study or being like, you know, you know, really like bringing you in emotionally to, to what's happening. Uh, it's very much an intellectual experience. It's not, it's not an emotional experience to me all that much. Um, so like there's, it's not a movie that I, that like is just like, it, like it didn't just like wreck me. Like it, like it didn't like pull me in, in a way that I, I feel like I'm, I'm just like, this is an all time favorite. But I think in terms of like, the filmmaking on display, the the uh, things that this movie has on its mind, like what it's trying to say, I think it's really, really brilliantly done. Mm. And you know, we can get into the specifics of stuff later, but I, I do, I do think that it, it is an important movie, and it's one that I don't hear talked about enough in terms of just you know analyzing, you know, rises of of nationalistic fervor and the the uh the ways that like these these men you know in power you know manipulate the working class to their own ends and um you know i just i i think there's a lot going on in this movie and i wish i had had time to to watch it twice i've only seen it once because i would love to go back and just kind of uh see you know him planting the seeds for stuff early in the movie that kind of come to fruition later uh, there's a lot of that stuff that I feel like I, I, I would pick up on more in the second viewing. So I'm a little bit ashamed to say that I didn't get back to it. But but that being said, in terms of an initial movie watching experience, I had a really, really great time with it. Mm. Um, great time is probably the wrong way to put it because it is <laughs> it is a depressing movie in some ways. But, but it, it is entertaining. It is it is no doubt. Entertaining, it is. And the filmmaking is, is so engaging um, mm-hmm. that that it, it 
it really it, it just works as as a piece of cinema. It doesn't when you're watching it, it doesn't feel like you're watching some preachy melodrama. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's it's not overplaying anything. It, it keeps yeah. everything very very grounded for the most part. I think some of the villainous portrayals get a little cartoony. I feel like at times, but. You Especially know, towards the end, for sure, for sure. But it, yeah. but it kind of works for me, it, yeah. it, you know. I, and and I think like the fact that you by the end of it are kind of laughing at some of, some of these people, then gets paid off even further when those people still like retain their power and nothing actually happens. You know, like not to, to jump right to the end and and kind of how it ends, but like you know, the subversion of like the movie giving you the happy ending and then ripping it away from you is mm-hmm. I think like, I I, th- I just think that's really, really clever on Costa Gavra's part in terms of the structure of this. Uh, and I don't want, you know, I don't want to give all credit to Costa Gavra because he, he didn't write the movie entirely. He had other co-writers with him. Uh, and Vasilis, it was based in a book but, as well, yeah. <laughs> this one guy's name is Vasilis Vasilikos, which is quite a name. Pretty Greek. Uh, <laughs> pretty Greek. And then Jorge Semprun. Uh, so like, you know, he had help with the writing process, but like I do, I do think that like there's a distinct vision coming through here. Um, and, and it's really encapsulated in that, that back and forth that happens within the last five minutes of the movie. So ultimately I think it's a great film. Again, not one that I feel like I'm going to be revisiting constantly, like some of these others that we've covered on the show, but I had a great time with it. What What about you? How did you feel about it? I love this movie. Let me just start start there. I think it's it's fantastic. Um, not perfect. I, I'm coming around to this idea that there is no perfect movie, but I think it is really, really exceptional, and 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 fascinating overall. I love the exploration of the subject matter too. You know, I I also am very interested in this sort of stuff. Like how do, how can it be that these things happen and and or and why do they happen? And I love the movies that take the time to explore these situations. Uh specifically police state and power overreach and and things like that. Just mm-hmm. always I, I I feel like those are incredibly important stories. Um but it was also another example of just like really being careful of your headspace when you march into a new film. Like I didn't get to the movie until late last night. I was coming off of work. I was tired and it felt like work. And I had no knowledge about this movie before we fired it up or before I fired it up. I didn't know the genre. I didn't know how, if it was a drama or a serious movie or whatever. And the movie starts and I'm thinking almost in terms of like, um, Dr. Strangelove. I'm like, is this Mm. like a farcical sort of comedy and stuff? And I was kind of like wrestling with the movie because I was not in the mood to watch this movie when I started it, regardless of what it was going to turn out to be. I was just like, I just got to watch it. It's, you know, it's got to get, got to be done. I got to watch it for the show. And the movie won me over from that bad outlook from my, like the way I let, I went into this movie of like really not wanting to watch it. It quickly won me over. And I was like, this is really, this is really cool. This is really good. Was there a distinct Uh, moment where you felt it when you over? Yeah. Yeah, there was. And it was when, after the character Z gets clubbed in the square and the three wheel kamikaze thing fires off into the crowd and that guy from Z's sort of entourage chases it down and jumps into the truck bed of the Z. And there's that incredible fight scene 
in the truck bed. Really well and, done. Uh, you know, by fight scene, we don't mean like Jackie Chan type of thing. It's very much just like kind of basic wrestling. Like if Drew and I were to get in a fight, it's, yeah, it's two guys it trying to push like. each other off of the, yeah. the truck. But the way it's shot and the music and, and it's just so kinetic and frantic. As There's like, that shot really along cool. the side of the car where they're like, like the car's in motion and they're like kind of like halfway over the edge of the side of the car. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, there's some really, really great camera work in that. There's some and incredible, good incredible shots. And so it, it, it started winning me. It, well, it didn't start. It completely won me over there. And then it went into this super investigation-y territory after that. And I was like, oh my God, we have staggered into the ultimate Drew movie. You kind of <laughs> you kind of alluded to this earlier in your overall thoughts too. And I like highlighted it, took a little note. It's like this is, <laughs> and I mean this in the best way, this is such a Drew movie. It's um, mm-hmm. getting to the bottom of something, following evidence, investigation. And then on top of that, other themes are so well explored in this movie that are really important to Drew and myself, like, like I said like government overreach and police state intervention and, and concerns over fascism and how quickly it can spread and rise if left unchecked. All of these uh, subjects are important to you, and uh, they should be relatively important to anybody. Um, so I was like, this is such a Drew movie, and I'm, I'm so into it. I, I really thought it was excellent. I do have a couple of gripes and quibbles that we'll get to later on in the episode, but... I think it really is great. Mm-hmm. And um, I watched it again this morning with the commentary on. I will say this. Foreign language films are great to put the commentary on. Because you have on this Criterion DVD, which is the or on this Criterion Blu-ray, which is the version I watched. You have the subtitles that are still the movie's dialogue. So it's so great to kind of have your ears occupied by English-speaking commentary. But you can kind of, when it gets boring, you can dip out of it and and just focus on the words and kind of start watching the movie again. It was really good. So so when I kind of revisited that, the commentary was nothing special. It was kind of professorial and just talking about what was going on in Greece at the time. Like relatively interesting, but it didn't get super deep into like the creative process and how things were done. It's not like the director was on it or anything like that. But yeah, that was that was cool. So I watched it twice now, once with the commentary, and already it's it's simmering and 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 I think it's got some 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 legs on it. And it's definitely a movie that I do think I'll be revisiting fairly often and I do think it's going to be one that I tell people like Graham and like other people like us who like these types of just kind of somewhat deep cut movies I mean I certainly had never heard of this before you put it on the list I mean it's been over 50 years since it came out true true and uh, I'll just um, I'll be talking this one up and be like you should check this out well let's talk about the filmmaker so this is uh, by a director named Costa Gavras it's a hyphenated first name, and uh, it's a, a shortening of his his Greek name. His given name is Konstantinos Gavras. Um, not hyphenated. Not sure why he decided to hyphenate it once he shortened his first name. But hey, it's got hey, some when, flair to it. <laughs> when people emigrate, they do strange things to their names. Or is it immigrate? I think it's M. 
when they leave. I think it a place. depends on anyway. if you. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whether it be emigrate or immigrate, and then in addition to that, they do strange things when they start getting their names and credits. Whether they're they have stage names or pen names or anything else. So maybe there's a couple of layers going on here. Yeah, for sure. But uh, this is an early work of his. Uh, from what I could tell, this seems to be like his first big breakout, really, in the the international stage. He uh, is is as I mentioned, uh, a Greek man. He eventually emigrated or immigrated, whatever it is, to <laughs> uh, to France. Uh, but that wasn't until he he graduated high school. Um, he grew up in Greece, and his father was actually uh, imprisoned at, because he was on the pro com he, he was a communist uh revolutionary in greece during the the greek um what do you call it the, during the greek civil war um and his com his father's communist party membership made it so that he couldn't go to university in greece and he also couldn't move to the u.s at all so he moved to france went to the sorbonne and studied there um and uh yeah eventually found his way into filmmaking but yeah, he uh, he's an interesting guy. I mean, I, clearly, like his experience with his dad being imprisoned for his political beliefs uh, fed into this the idea behind this movie. I saw a very small snippet of an interview with him where he was talking about this um, and how they kind of had to just pull this movie together on a shoestring. And it seems like a lot of the people were working for free. It just was something that they really like had a passion for and wanted to get made. Um, which is really amazing when you think about the scale of this movie. I mean, when you look at these shots in, you know, these town squares with, you know, hundreds of people and, and you know, these big scenes of, of, uh, of clashes between the, uh, the opposition and the, the, you know, the government forces, um, it's, it's pretty amazing to think that they, they kind of just did this, you know, fast and loose and, and on the cheap because they, they really pulled it off and made it look like a much more expensive movie than I think it actually was. Um, but yeah, are, how are, were you familiar at all with Costa Gavras before this film? No, I had never heard of him. And I knew based on kind of, well, I didn't know. I thought based on how the movie was framed in my head that he was a French filmmaker. And of course, he made French movies. That is mostly true. I didn't find out until I dipped into the special features on the Criterion disc that he was Greek originally. And like you said, moved to Paris, I think when he was like 18 or something, started making films there. So I am someone who is Greek on my mother's side. So as just a homer, I was like, oh man, we got a Greek filmmaker here. I have never seen uh, a film by a, a Greek filmmaker as far as I know. So that was exciting. And then the, thank God I dipped into the special features because, as mentioned, this movie does not specify where it takes place. And it has that little flashcard at the beginning that it's like more or less based on true events. Incredible flashcard, by the way, like because right. it's taking it's taking the normal um, disclaimer of mm -hmm. the, this is not based on true events. Any any depiction it's not coincidental is, is coincidental. And he says, no, no, no it is not coincidental. <laughs> is, there is, is a direct is comparison here. <laughs> yeah. But due to that choice, uh, which I think is a good one that, that you alluded to of kind of making it generic, this whole time I'm watching the movie, the first go around, I think the story is taking place in, in France. Right. And so I'm just assuming like, oh, this is a chapter of French history I'm just unaware of. I guess there was like a military takeover in like 
50s, 60s France. I don't remember hearing about that, but I guess. And then thank God, I like. I was like, oh, this was a movie spoken in French, set in Greece, because it was a movie that was made by in you know. Well, it's not set in French Greece people. technically, but but that is yeah. what they're alluding to. Yeah, it's based off a story that was set in in Greece, and mm-hmm. um, I had only ever seen that, by the way, from American films. Like the idea of just openly speaking uh, your own language in a place that doesn't speak the language for sake of story. This is the first time I think that I've seen it in like an, in a quote unquote international or a French movie, which was so that was my bias. That's why I think I didn't realize it. Yeah. And also I'm not familiar of like what French military or police uniforms look like and where they filmed this in Algiers is similar to. I feel like the French southern coastline. So mm-hmm. I thought I thought this no, was just totally. happening. I was in the thinking Marseille or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so um, all those things. It's like okay, thank God I found out more about this movie. And he is officially on my radar now. I was kind of scrolling through his filmography. Uh, seems like a really interesting director, and I think he's drawn to stories of this type often. This sort of uh, political and power structure corruption and people who get are either fighting against it or squashed by it or resisting it or whatever. This seems to be a common theme for him. And in uh, one of the interviews I saw with him, he talked about how whenever he makes a movie, his objective is for the film to be entertaining. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. he has these sort of concerns over message and, um, what the point of it all is and, 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 and fighting these, these ideas, these nefarious corruption ideas and po- political power overreach and things. But he never wants to forget the point of the movie and the point of going to a theater is you want to be entertained. And I feel like in a lot of, a lot of modern people Message might see that. movies. Yeah, they might view that kind of snobbishly and be like, what do you mean? Well, it's well, art. I, I kind of like that he's taking this approach. I completely I, agree. I think it's yeah. a tricky line for him to walk where, like, if you go too far in either direction, the entertainment direction or the message direction, it starts to feel uh, less. Because, like, mm-hmm. if it's if it's purely a message movie and there's no entertainment, then it's just like, this is a slog. I, I, I can't even get through yeah. this. Like, You're going to reach less people. But yeah, no, I think I think he he walks that tightrope really well. I think he does it perfectly. And I think if that was his objective, I would say he pulled it off totally because I felt entertained and engaged and also I felt like the movie had something to say and was exploring interesting things and it wasn't obnoxiously opinionated. You know I can have uh, beef with with somebody like an Aaron Sorkin who is a, a brilliant brilliant screenwriter, but sometimes I find his his worldview is so apparent um, that I just kind of roll my eyes at it a little bit. Um, I didn't feel that way with this, with, 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 with Costa. Like I, I've, I felt like, Oh, this guy, he has an opinion and I do, I do see it, but how could you argue with him? Like, you know what I mean? It seems so, uh, which sounds kind of like a contradiction, but what, for whatever reason I bought it and was with it in this movie. I think he does a really great job of humanizing the whole experience. I think, the vast majority of the characters in this movie, like they don't get a lot of screen time, but there is pathos and like real emotion there that like comes through. I don't know. I I think that can be really tricky, like to, 
when you're doing a movie like this that has so many characters that all have, you know, perspectives, like to give enough attention that you know what they're about, but not have it feel just like a one note character, you know? I don't know. I, I does that yeah. make any sense? I, I it's it does. It, I feel like that's really hard to do. And like, you know, you like I'm thinking even of like the, you know, uh, Zed's wife, like the, 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 uh, who, you know, she comes to the hospital after he's been, been attacked. Um, and you're getting all these like just very little, like small cutaways to, to, you know, her previous receiving time the with news him or whatever. receiving or, the yeah, news or memories, and yeah. like all these little things. And it's just like, I don't know. He just, he, he does a really good job of humanizing everything. And, and yeah. I don't, I don't think that that's an easy thing to do. You know, like the only other comparison I can really come to, um, that I think does a really great job of this as well in terms of like these sprawling stories is like, uh, Steven Soderbergh's contagion is a great example of like, you know, one of these sprawling character things where, yeah. where it's like all these different stories happening at once, but you feel an emotional connection to everything happening on, on screen. Um, I don't know. That's a really, yeah. really tough thing to pull off. It is. And I think, kind of going alongside with what you're saying. Like we've talked about all of these characters and and how much is going on in this story. And I mean there's arguably like maybe over 30 characters that have like legit several lines of dialogue and are important to the whole piece of of who's that and what did they know and who's over there. Like think about it this way Drew, like how often are you, are you confused in this movie? Never. And I think for me, it's incredibly rarely. And I think it goes towards what you're saying. It's like, there are so, there's so much going on. And at no point, I'm like, what? Who the fuck is that? What is going? Like, I'm always, almost always clear as to who each person is. And let's give a shout out to the Fachas. Because I was just say. that's a huge component of this. You have all these recognizable faces yes. that pop in your head. And they get stamped in and you don't forget. And they might like the guy who sort of is the rat on the phone who doesn't want to give his identity. And he's speaking through that woman on the phone. Like we don't see him again for ages. And like we, we know we know where he's coming from. Like this guy is in like a 20 second cutaway towards the beginning of the movie. He doesn't come back for an hour and a half. And we know who he is. Like I think that's he doesn't even have I'm, a line of dialogue in the first. No, appearance. he just shakes his head off the phone, and 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 we're also aided by her appearance there as well because we remember her because she speaks. But like, the older I get, the more I'm starting to feel like if a movie is not trying to be confusing, if it's not The Big Sleep or Inherent Vice or any of these sorts of things, or The Big Lebowski, and if so, it's not in that category and. There's a lot of characters and you are not confused. I need to be acknowledging the skill at directing going on there more often because that's a really difficult thing to do to have all this stuff going on. And me as an audience member, not a, let alone I'm reading subtitles and bouncing up and down between seeing what's happening on screen and taking in the words. I, I was never confused. And I think that's a, a monumental achievement that I don't give enough credit. Yeah, and that's that's fully on the filmmaker as well. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's entirely a credit to Costagavras and his his abilities. So, mm-hmm. yeah, kudos there. That that's an impressive feat to pull off. Um, but yeah, I, I, he's a filmmaker that I'm I'm definitely very interested in based on this. And yeah. I, like I said before, we'll 
I definitely want to talk about the camera work and how he uses his camera. Uh, I don't know if now is the, I mean, do we want to get into that now or do we want to save that for later? I do. I do want to get in. I think it makes sense to get into that now, yeah. but I want to say one last thing on, I have one last thing I want to say about Costa Gavras and I may have already said this, but I will be putting more of his shit on. And I thought about doing it right this week and going back to back and refilling the number. Cause I liked it so much mm-hmm. and he's got a pretty extensive filmography a lot of it looks interesting to me. There's but one I have, that stuck out to me. I mean, there was one. Maybe this is the same one. There's one that has Jack Lemmon in it. Yeah. It's Jack Lemmon and, Lemon and like, Sissy missing, Spacek. I think. It's called Missing. Yeah, and yeah, I, it, that it was one nominated. For me. Or actually, it might have won Best Adapted Screenplay. I don't. I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly, but it, it's. It was an Oscar-nominated film, and definitely one that I'm. Uh, yeah. That I'm curious to check out. Yeah, and and then also there was in the commentary someone mentioned how one of his movies was about like. A, a Nazi living after World War II in America and oh, stuff like that. So okay. like there's a lot of like, and then there's like a, there's one that takes place in South America that has corruption involved. So it's like all this cool shit. Um, but I have something in the chamber that um, I'm pretty excited about. But, well, miss, but Missing's going to be sitting on my, my to-do list. You, so. I can't wait. And I'll have other ones from this too. This is someone I'm really looking forward to exploring more, both within this show and beyond. But other than that, I am ready to go into the photography of this film, because I think it really is special. What I really love about how Costa Gavras uses his camera is he's doing what Spielberg gets credited with quite often, which is he's incredible at having this floaty camera that in a single take will move from, you know, a close-up to a wide to a two-shot, and he just... He does this thing where he he never cuts. He just kind of lets the camera refocus its attention. And it's so effective uh, at delivering these scenes where, where you've got five characters in a room. They all have different perspectives and it's it's shifting around, but it's not it's not taking you out of the moment, you know, by cutting away to like random close-ups and whatnot. Like there's no B-roll or anything. It's just like you're in the moment with these characters. And I think it like gives you a very like experiential kind of, uh, you know, feeling when you're, when you're in it. And, and it's just like, I don't know. I just, I, I think that that's such a hard thing to pull off. And not on, not only that, like it'd be one thing to just, you know, jump between all those perspectives within a shot, but then to be able to do it and have each of those, you know, frames within that larger shot, be so well composed, you know, that that's really, really impressive to me. I mean, there are some shots in here that are just gorgeous in their composition and their framing. And like they're happening in the midst of him moving the camera around, which is just like that's really impressive to pull off. Dude, totally. Let's just give a shout out too to Raul Coutard, who I guess was a huge name as a as a DP back in the day. And he used to he used to work with a lot of famous French New Wave filmmakers and stuff. Mm. Um, but I, I totally agree for the most part. I love the way this movie is shot. And I think when you were talking about the camera doesn't necessarily cut, it moves like this, the shots change from based on, on camera movement, as opposed to just say cutting and resetting and establishing a new angle and just cutting to it. And I think a lot when specifically of the scenes where, the sort of semi semi righteous prosecutor who we'll call sunglasses guy 
when he's interviewing a lot of people. They refer to him as the magistrate multiple times. The magistrate, yes, yes. The magistrate, cool guy, good guy, like him. A great performance, which we'll get to, I think. Um, The camera would a lot of times start uh, behind the interviewee's shoulder, and then it would swing out wide around, kind of around the, the, the length of the desk, and all of a sudden it's like a two shot of these people talking face to face. I feel like I'm remembering that correctly. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of that stuff of like the camera starts here, goes to B, and like you're saying, th- sometimes C and D position wise. Um, and now that you mention it, I do think I like that shit a lot. The, 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 the visual issue I have with this movie, and this is kind of stepping on gripe territory a little bit, but I feel it feels organic to me here is a lot of the sort of surrealist stuff going on in this movie of, and I think it was, it was kind of of its time to a degree, but like to be a little more open about what can be expressed through film, I think was really being explored at that time, particularly and other times obviously as well, but stuff that like tries to go into characters psyches doesn't work for me as much. Oh, so you you weren't you weren't feeling the like cutaways to like flashbacks and, and no, memories. No, not as much. And, oh, see, I don't I don't mind that. I mean, I feel like I feel like without that, you lose a lot of what we're talking about earlier in the show of just the emotionality of it and the, and the the character. Like like, mm. um, I like the flashbacks. I just don't like the way that some of them are implored. Like for example. When the wife gets the news, there's that kind of those cutting, searing uh, flashbacks to like the phone ringing and like some, some of that more like not surrealist, but sort of like a little more out there didn't work for me. And I know what they're going That's for. Interesting. Like, I, I don't yeah. I don't get a surrealist vibe at all from any of that stuff. It, it like surrealist is not the right word. It's like emotional. They want you to feel the emotions of you get the call and it's this terrible news. And I get it. But like. It it's something it felt a little out of place for me. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't feel that at all. But yeah, hmm. that's fair. Yeah. Did what? Did, what did you think of that kind of weird shot where the doctor Z sort of first arrives to the town, and he sees that beautiful woman in the uh, changing the wig out in the window, and then it cuts to these that kind of bizarre flashbacks of his infidelity. Like, mm. I thought that was a little bizarre and out of place too. But like, mm. so there was that's in my kind of nitpick gripe territory. And is the only thing about the film that visually didn't work for me or in terms of like the emotions they were going for when it was getting a little fancy with its choices. And also like when he gets hit on the head the first time and it's like POV through the crowd and he's kind of woozy. Like that stuff didn't really work for me as he's like walking up the stairs to give a speech. Um, I didn't really love that. But the rest of the flashback stuff I really liked, like when it goes into uh, multiple interpretations or, or or if not straight up lies as to what happened. And like those things, I think for my taste are shot a little bit more traditionally and it kind of works with the visual feel of the movie stronger to me, but, um, but kind of minor thing. And overall, I think visually it looked fucking awesome. Yeah. I don't know. It it didn't bother me. I, I, I appreciated that this movie was willing to give some interiority to these characters that otherwise would just be pawns in this larger game, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, it didn't bother me, and like even the the perspective stuff that you're talking about of like the kind of woozy, you know, kind of uh, wide angle that he goes with um, 
after he first gets hit in the head. Um, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't mind that stuff because I think like, again, it's like, it, 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 it's very easy for these kind of movies to feel one of your favorite words, stodgy, where it's just like, it, it, you know, you feel removed and it's just like, it feels like you're just watching kind of like a photojournalism kind of thing, you know, where it's just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it can, it, I feel like it would be very easy to be pulled out of this experience if you didn't have that stuff. You know, it, it didn't work for you. It didn't bother me though. I think the commentary really turned me on to something visually that I didn't really, I wasn't aware of until they mentioned it, but kind of, uh, the whole kind of hit in this movie leading up to Z getting bludgeoned and everything. They were talking about the different camera techniques employed in those scenes. And I was like, oh, that is really cool because they do a combination of handheld. They do a combination of dolly shots and a combination of crane shots. And it's a really cool blend of like, you know, Z kind of the doctor character like gathering themselves up to cross the street for the first time to go to the newly placed uh, meeting hall or the one they've been relocated to. And if you watch it with the sort of kind of DP director eye of like, what are they going for here with this shot structure and these compositions? And you'll see it float between like, there's a dolly shot that pulls away from the doctor character revealing like a column of police people, at his sort of flank. And then there's like, and then it'll cut to a sort of craney movie shot. And then it'll, and by movie, I mean, it's just literally on the move. And then it'll cut to like handheld kind of gorilla, almost like documentary style working through the crowd. And I really do love the way they weave these different techniques and blend them to create for what I felt was a very unique feel and vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Even though I have beef with the little kind of inserty, rapid fiery things, I do love visually the way this story is approached and the different techniques they use. And it does have a few shots that are already on my short list for favorite of the 50. And one of them is, we already talked about the kamikaze action scene, which is so fucking cool, but kind of maybe the best shot in the film in my mind is when we actually see the Z painted mm. from the window of the widow who has just kind of found out the news. That is an incredible shot with so many extras swarming around. Like you were mentioning earlier, just the, you don't, you cannot tell this movie was shot on a shoestring. I thought it was completely the other way. I thought they had tons of dollars. When you see the chaos they're able to orchestrate and control on screen and the amount of people that they have to work with here it's it's amazing. And that shot, when we, we get the reveal of, we don't know what the Z means yet, but we see it come into the film for the first time in the most stunning way. And the paint buckets kicked over and it spills out and we have the cops arriving and the camera is just pacing. Guy getting like, his haircut by the cop. Guy getting his haircut. And it's just all like, it's very patient camera work. Mm-hmm. And it's all just like, it's so fucking good. It's one of my favorite shots of this batch. No, I completely agree. It's really well done. But yeah, um, I, I just was really impressed with the camera work in this movie. And I think, um, you know, along the same lines, like, you know, I, the editing as well, just, and you know, kind of what you're getting at with that, that sequence of, you know, the crane and the, the, the handheld and the dolly. And, you know, I think in lesser hands, some of these sequences would feel way less dynamic than they do. 
and uh, you know, I'm th- I'm thinking in terms of the editing, like you know, the scene where all these these different suspects are giving their alibis that, and they're like alibi checks out, and yeah, it's the way that that's all sequenced, and it's like he'll ask a question to one guy, and then it'll cut, and the answer is coming from a different guy, and you know, just like I, I don't know, I feel like there's some really creative editing choices that. You know, I'm, I'm not a film historian to the extent that I could tell you, like, if this was one of the first movies that was doing that. But it feels like that shorthand has carried through certainly to today. Like, we still use that editing shorthand to, to kind of, like, get through these kind of things in, in these kind of procedural movies. Yeah, um, it, like, accelerates an idea. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's done so well here. I'm so glad you're mentioning the editing here. Because going back to what we're talking about, the lack of confusion in this movie and how a lot of that is credit to the director, the editor as well, because not only are we doing, um, we have all these characters running amok, but like you're saying, we're cutting back in time. We're zipping around. We're all of a sudden interviewing new characters, but sometimes people we've never seen before, or maybe didn't notice we had seen before. And then we're jumping back this other perspective. That's not what happened. But again, never confused. Mm -hmm. So show shout out again to the editing there, because there are so many, I couldn't count the number of time jumps in this movie and flashbacks. There's tons of them, mm-hmm. and they all work really well for me. I never felt lost. I think anyone who really loves the craft of filmmaking will be. I mean, this is this is like, yeah, this is this is like a gourmet meal of of craft. This one is just right. It's the it's the third bowl of Goldilocks or some shit. You know what I mean? It's like this is it's so it's very well told. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I mean, that kind of covers, like, talking about Costa Gavras. I, I, I really am interested in him, in him as a filmmaker, and I'm interested to see if, like, these kind of stylistic choices carry through or if he has other speeds. Just makes me that much more in, interested in checking out more of his stuff. But, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think I'm ready, Drew, to get into performances. Does that sound good to you? Because I have a question I wanted to, to, to pitch to you here. I think pretty much, if not everybody, is great in this movie from a performance level. I don't, I can't think of a weak link. So, before we start marching through this confusing kind of list, I want to ask you first: Is there anyone who didn't work for you? Because I, for me, almost everybody, if not everyone, was a grand slam. Yeah, I don't. From a performance standpoint, no. I, I think everyone nails their part. I think so too. I think I don't if think there's any weak links. I think if you're gonna like levy any criticism it might be for the general character just because it is cartoonishly evil and kind of like i think gavras has so much disdain for these kind of characters yes exactly the mustache I'm twisting my mustache jared's over here doing a mustache twirly gesture <laughs> i did it for about five seconds because drew was thinking and his eyes were up and to the side and i was like i'm, I'm keeping the bit going i'm twisting this mustache but until it, he returns. it is that it, it's <laughs> yeah. it's very very mustache twirly like kind of cartoony villain and you know he he's the most overtly buffoonish kind of character even i mean he he is the mastermind of this whole scheme but the you, the whole time the movie is just like look at this fucking jackass and like and and, and it feels a little heavy-handed in that sense and you know again that's not a commentary on the performance i think he's doing well with the material um i believe the actor's name is pierre dux or or do i don't know how you pronounce that in, in with the french french we're talking about the bald asshole chief chief of the assholes arguably yes with the right? the gray yeah. mustache balding guy yeah he's giving the speech at the beginning of the film likening um 
political free speech as a as a sort of uh, invasive species yes. and a disease and and like mildew and things, which is so so pinches my nerves to hear people talking that way because you and I drew like we differ on so many things, but I think where we agree is like. I think any rational Westerner would agree with this is like freedom of speech is, is incredibly important. And the idea of speech getting shut down is a, a, a huge concern of mine. So even though you and I are different very politically, like there's so much of this movie taps into both of our sort of societal phobias and, and the idea of speech being uh, excessively restricted or shut down in either these straight up murderous ways, like it's, you know, shown in this film Two other ways, it just always gets under my skin and gets me sure. fucking riled up. And it's effective here, man. Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, he, it's overtly villainous. That's yeah. for damn sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. But it didn't bother me. I, and I totally agree with you. It's it's heavy. But oh, no, no, I think no, they're no. going I, for To be clear, too. like it didn't yeah. bother me either. Yeah, yeah. Like I think, I think this movie needs at least one figure that you can be like, this is, wrong like we do we do not agree with this person well and the movie gets a little more um subtle in its depiction of some of the goons who are executing these plans but well the the movie has i do i do think the movie has empathy for the working class people who are are radicalized to the this authoritarian cause they buy the snake oil and they get sucked into it and i mean obviously the two main thugs are very villainous. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about them necessarily, but like the guy who had birds and who like burst into the hospital, like to say he was innocent and he, why is he in the paper? And then he slowly reveals that he was pressured into right. this whole situation well, he's a guy from who can the barely police. Read. Yeah, he can't read. He's uneducated and he's being completely manipulated by this sort of authoritarian state. Right. And they're using his like license to sell figs against him to kind of force him to enact these schemes. So there's there's sympathy there. And this is someone who is politically on presumably the other side of the director. Um, so there are times where it does get very, very subtle. So I think you and I are on the same page there. Well, and even, I mean, the guy who is going to be a witness who gets beat, you know, as he's walking to give his testimony. He likes soccer. Um, yeah, he's just he's just a guy who likes soccer. He just he's likes just football. Like, he's, yeah, he's like, just leave me alone. <laughs> Dude, but, I'm stealing that line. When that, people <laughs> ask me about politics, I just like football. And I'll even use the same word meaning something else. Yeah, It's a great line. Dude, I, who knows? I like fucking football. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. And and yeah. look, like he's a guy who has like... He has questionable beliefs in that he doesn't he doesn't sympathize with the liberals in, no. in the movie at all. But Dude, that's one of my favorite touches in that movie is that guy's principal motivations is vanity. He's upset that his friend got in the paper. That's really what's driving him. It's not this injustice. It's not this corruption. Well, no, he's I mean, just I, th- like, I think why he is also, he in the fucking paper? I do think he also like is an honest person, and he's somebody who is like, no, no, that's not what happened, and this is what happened, and like I, you telling me that I'm crazy, like, and and that like this thing didn't happen the way that I thought it, that I know it happened, is like fuck you, like, like I, you know, I think that's something that anyone should sympathize with is just the idea of like. Even if it's someone on your side, if they're telling you to, you know, that you are, go, you know, 
in the wrong and and have you know just a, a complete wrong interpretation of things is like no 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 fuck you no no like, yeah I know what I experienced <laughs> yeah know? that guy really shows his spine even though I do I do feel like he is pretty vain in his initial motivations for sure he has all these opportunities to back down he's being threatened and right. pressured and he's like no fuck you like just like you're saying like. That's not what happened. Like, and everyone's being like, dude, Even his sister, his sister is like, this. his yeah. sister is there giving him shit. And he's like, what? Yeah. No, get away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's he, he is great. And that guy, I mean, just another character thrown into the mix towards the end of the movie. He was a bit of a scene stealer for him. For I me, really man. Like I love that yeah. guy. Great character and great performance. Totally. But I, I think ultimately like that's, that's what I'm getting at is just like, there are there are pure expressions of of evil or or you know subtle you know the, just just wrongness and then there's there's also a lot more subtle depictions of that so i'm i'm willing to forgive the more cartoony aspects because they they it's not pervasive like it's not just like blanket statement all of these people mm-hmm. on this side of the aisle are wrong it's not. Yes. It's not that. It, it's a very. It's a much more nuanced view than that. And I really appreciate that the movie has empathy for those characters. I think it kind of leans back into how truthful this movie feels. I mean, it's silly to say because it's based on a true story, but like, there's so many scenes in this movie of like people, like lines of supporters on different sides of the, of the opinion, like shouting at each other. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my God, that's right. We forget because we do have all these new wrinkles, but the end results always feel the same. And it's just like v- like people being violent with one another, shouting at each other uh, over, over opinions that are either indoctrinated in them or they've come to on their own conclusions or whatever. And it's just so it we we see it all the time. So many scenes in this movie would be like, dude, I saw that on the news three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We used to see that on the circus all the time. It, it never really came to violence, but we would go to these. The circus being the show that Jared worked on on Showtime. Yeah, and I'm actually uh, jumping back in this fall. I'm pretty excited. That's awesome. Uh, as the election heats up, I'm I'm think it's going to be a really interesting time to be a part of that show. Just a little context: it's a it's a do- it's a weekly documentary series that covers current events and focuses on the politics of the situation. Kind of happening in real time, which is really yeah. cool. Impressive News that they pull that off, or that you One guys my- pull it off. You're part of the team. <laughs> yeah, it's it's my favorite show that I'm a part of, and we would often go to these, especially in 2016, at the height of the Biden Trump rolling into the actual election. Not 2016, I'm sorry, 2020. 2020. Um, we would go to these debates, and literally, it was people across the street, uh, Trump supporters and Biden supporters, just shouting at each other and like waving signs, and and it's it's exactly how it's depicted in this movie. So like, we never really get away from a lot of these things, even though. The, the our capability to be manipulated seems to have increased big time. Mm-hmm. And now this is a new way we have to keep our guard up as someone. I tried to be somewhat informed at times. I can get lazy for sure. But it's like we have to construct our cocktails as individuals because it's so easy, like you're saying, Drew, to be misled or manipulated. You need like... You need like a news source from this perspective. You need an opinion piece from this person. You need like a little fucking... Like, you know, it's like you have to construct this cocktail of diverse opinions to try to even get remotely close to the truth. I don't even know if it's about like constructing opinions that way. I think it's more just like having a critical eye and and trying to 
get past the surface level interpretations of things and start to understand where's the human element here that comes into play because that's that's really what's important like ultimately like any authoritarian regime any you know political movement that is based on anger the goal is to generate strife between the working class people it has nothing to do like the top layer the upper echelon they're going to be fine nothing that happens within this whole you know debate affects them it affects the working class it affects the people that live paycheck to paycheck and have to like try and like make ends meet and those are the people that get radicalized and that's really where yeah. where what gets like lost in all of this is like the victims yeah. are the people who are the ones doing the fighting and it sucks yeah it's it's really heartbreaking it seems to me i don't know if this is true but it seems to me that the the political sort of engine or the, the these revolutionary waves or whatever they are when they're based on fear and paranoia or anger they seem to be more successful than those based in peace well because we're yeah passivity. we're subject to that we like we are emotional yeah, creatures it's frustrating i mean just look at the death of jesus like you know it's just it's <laughs> it's frustrating that like Wait, the death of jesus where are we going with this well like the like whether whatever you think of the of of the spirituality of the situation there's an example of someone who lived a life dedicated to peace and was crucified is there's something about the sort of right. anger taps in as a more effective or fear or paranoia as a more effective motivator than sometimes peace and passivity does and it's sure. really it can feel frustrating well, to the, the crucifixion to see that of Jesus itself. like whether it happened or not the story is is exactly what we're talking about which is yeah. you know people who are manipulated by a regime that wants them to feel sympathy yeah. towards them and so therefore demonizes this well-meaning you know idealist yeah. and yeah. and turns that into the enemy yeah and it's it just goes to show the directions um, that this movie pulls you in intellectually. And it brings me to something that the director said in, in the same interview I referenced earlier, where he talked about, like, I don't want you thinking about the movie when you're in watching the movie. I want you to be watching the movie and enjoying it. I want you thinking about it after. And I was before this conversation started, I was wondering, like, did, was he successful there? Because I definitely think I, he was I think successful he was. in the other way. But clearly, the, the way this conversation is unfolding, he is. Now, all of a sudden, you and I are talking about the internet and Jesus. And he has, like, <laughs> fired up our minds to to see just this, like, yeah. there's a lot of ideas in this movie that are so applicable in a lot of ways. Totally. And and to your point, though, when you're watching it, like, you're just in it. You're, you're just thinking you're about experiencing, Jesus. like, yeah. this whole thing. There's And, and I think... You know, that's that is something that I just really appreciate about a movie that is so political like this, that you can be in the moment with this movie and not be thinking about necessarily like the larger themes in general. I mean, they're there and you're aware of them in the moment because obviously the movie is talking about them, but it's not sending your mind spiraling into like side conversations. It's only once you've gotten out of the experience and you've had the whole you know, the, you've gone through the whole arc of it. That's when you start to, to unpack those ideas. And I think like a lesser film that would be less engaging might pull you out of that and send you down that, that, that path too quickly and therefore might feel like chintzier as a result. Yeah. Yeah, dude. 
Because like this can be experienced just as like a really, really yeah. well done thriller just on its own. And then, yeah, but totally. then, then you pull back from it and, it and it's got all this other yeah. stuff going on. Yeah, you do not need to enjoy this movie. You do not need to do what Drew and I are attempting to do here, which is to apply it to what's happening in the world now or at other times or whatever. Just unpacking you can just, it. Yeah. You can just throw it on. You don't mm-hmm. have to, you don't have to dissect this to enjoy it. It's, it's really a nice balance in that way. And I think, I think it, it communicates its ideas so effectively that I think it is uh, accessible. And, and totally. I think like, and, and you know, like this is a good example of a movie where it's one that I would put in front of people who don't watch foreign films. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, I like, think I like would too. you know what I mean? Like it, it's the yeah. kind of, it's the kind of foreign film where it's like, you're not watching this and being like, Oh, look at these Frenchies doing their French filmmaking yeah. shit. Like it's just, it's just a fucking engaging <laughs> movie. And like, I did feel that way with the things we were talking about, my gripes, like the phone ringing and like this, the frantic cutting to Shut like, the fuck up. It that's when I was like, all bad. right, Frenchie. I was like, okay, there goes Frenchie. Greek Frenchie, apparently, <laughs> but there he goes, straking right, across right. the. No, 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 but um, but I agree with principally yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is because, like, if you look at a list of other, let's just go off the cuff here, Drew. Other foreign films we've covered here: Exterminating Angel. I, we both like that movie a lot, but I would not recommend it as like an introduction to foreign. Not films unless you're into surrealism or you want to yeah. he- see like some like progenitor of a lot of like horror stuff from Mm -hmm. like more recent times yeah yeah if 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 i knew someone who had like a twisted bent in their like sort of types of movies they like then Mm -hmm. then that now we're talking exterminating angel yeah i almost said et uh and then we've got movies like titan um m you know so i i think i agree out of the ones that come to mind right now i think this is the um most accessible that it's we've definitely the most yet. directly applicable to an American experience. I would say mm-hmm. in terms of, of the ones that we've covered, I don't know, actually I take that back. M is M is very, very relevant, but That's true. it is, it is so much older that I feel like the filmmaking styles might, might not appeal to modern audiences the way that this one does where this one just, I mean, you could honestly, like if you swapped out this movie and, and, and it was made today, I don't think you would change yeah. hardly anything about how Dude, it's constructed. Just think of like Charlottesville or something like that. It's like I mean, really, the technological so advancements are really the only thing that would would make yeah. it different today. Otherwise, it is like it, it could Dude, it could not be more relevant. I just realized that in this movie, there's someone who uh, has to outrun a car from getting run down, and that's mm. literally something that happened in Charlottesville. It's just so it's so it's it's heartbreaking in that way. And yes, we were talking about how exciting and entertaining the movie is and and it is all of that but just to see how often history repeats itself it's really disheartening as well, just, just like again like, goes to show how simple we are as human beings we just we, think, yes, we love exactly. to think that we're complicated but we're really not we're pretty productive still got to bring that shirt back drew surprise the algorithm i got to get those made because that is that is something that i do want it it's like a philosophy i want to try to infuse into my life but yes we Surprise are the algorithm shirts coming from t public yeah. <laughs> in on the dartboard movie night t public do patreon page. i like you, you gave patreon a shout out for, for the Ikiria episode for dice roll movie night i don't know if it's gonna make it in <laughs> but like this is another patreon bonus you get some <laughs> surprise the algorithm swag maybe a mouse pad we all have mice right yeah jared's starting his uh his his new kind of live strong <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Uh, what color should the band be? <laughs> just, 
Just white. <laughs> just white. <laughs> no other colors of the rainbow, just white. We, I feel like we we got off track. I mean, we were talking yeah, about yeah, no, performances, no, I love it, I love but, it. But, but I think like I mean, going back to kind of where we were, I think I think you know we kind of got on this tangent about just the you know working class characters and the empathy this movie shows towards even people on the wrong side of history. Um, I think the the performances of those characters in themselves have have a lot of empathy imbued in them as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think I think the movie is to be commended from a performance level on that. I did want to bring up one character though that definitely upset me and, and is probably the biggest knock I, I have on this movie by far. Mm. Um, right. Which is the one henchman, I believe his name is Vago. Um, yeah, Vago. Uh, so it's the one, the guy in the kind of Hawaiian print shirt. Um, the balding guy who's very squirrely and like, you know, is the one in the hospital who pretends to have a fake broken leg yep. so that he can yep. go beat the guy in the hospital. That character, I, I, I want to say first, from a performance standpoint, I think that the actor is talented and, and I think that what they're doing is interesting. I do have to say, though, the movie's perspective on him and the way that it turns him into this uh, this homophobic portrayal of, of like like there's overt homophobia in this movie around that mm-hmm. character that I think is really upsetting and I, and I yeah. wish it wasn't in here. I felt that way the first time I saw it, and because I was like I was like wait because like we see hints in this film of anti-Semitism and kind of just overall jingoism. But those scenes are always done where clearly the director appears to be against these ideas. Like it's just, they're just portraying the reality of the situation, but they're not endorsing anti-Semitism or anti kind of Korean. They kept calling that person like, you know, the Chinese kind of slur. Um, But when the home, when the, homosexuality of that character's um, character comes into play. I felt like you. I was like, this seems a little icky, and it seems like it's really... It just feels unnecessary to me. Then I heard in the commentary, grain of salt, grain of salt, but they said the idea was this is the perfect fall guy for the police because if, if he gets caught or captured he's easy to discard because of the nature of his homosexuality. So that kind of did a little bit of work in sort of cleaning Took up why this was portrayed you. this way. Yeah. But I still think your opinion and my initial opinion, and still might be my opinion, is valid. Because it, it does feel a little like it seems unnecessary. The addition of <clears throat> this character's homosexuality and it being highlighted in such ways um it did feel bizarre and off-putting but i somewhat buy this this point made See, in the commentary. My, here's my pushback on that the character is already a good fall guy even if you remove that from it i mean he's yep. he's discardable like that it's the same way with all of these pawns that the that the regime is is using to their own ends like they're all discarded. Like, like, like the, none of them are, are yes. worth anything. And 
you don't need that to further enhance that. Like, like the, mm. the, the movie is just so like, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. They're, like I uh, look at the scenes that they, they allude to the homosexuality and none of them are essential. None. Mm. Like, like none of those scenes add anything to my interpretation of like that character other than to yeah. be like the movie is looking at this queer person as being weird. And, and like, yeah. look at how fucking weird this person is. Yeah. Like, like you should be afraid of this guy. I have two scenes that come to mind, whereas homosexuality is either inferred or shown. And one is when he first tells the newspaper person to put his name in the story or, and actually I think it's the time he goes back and asks him to remove it and then kind of suggests they go have a role in the hay. And the guy gets kind of like, not here. What are you talking about? And then there's the scene at the pinball machine. That's, that's, that's bizarre. Um, but I've got a little pushback on your pushback. Um, just as we're having this conversation now, it occurs to me in a lot of these situations, there is this uh, heartbreaking irony of people fighting vehemently against their own self-interest kind of accidentally. And there is something to be said for the fact that there's this homosexual character yeah. who is aggressively um, promoting and acting out these ideas of the sort of uh, police state. And then we find out as the credits roll. Right. Uh, and this was aided to me from the commentary, but Socrates was banned during this takeover in Greece at this time because he was homosexual. So there is this sort of irony of like someone fighting for this cause that does not even allow them to be who they are. Whereas theoretically a more liberal sure. kind of leaning term, but, 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 but here's yeah, my pushback to, to your pushback yeah. to my pushback, Ooh. Whoa, quad which, layer. Is, which is that, um, they, they portray his homosexuality in a predatory way. They like every, I don't scene, know if I agree with that. Every pretty well, not every, but ev pretty much every scene that they allude to his homosexuality is him coming into a situation and either like voyeuristically kind of like looking at like some dude that he wants to hook up with um, or like coming on to someone or like like it's all him. It's it's coming from an aggressive place. You know, even the pinball but he's scene, an aggressive character. Like yeah, but, that, but that's my character. point. Like, why does he need to be that? If you're going to do the por the portrayal of homo homosexuality there, the empathetic portrayal of that is to show that as a side of him that's actually kind of good. And that, like, mm. is something that he is, like, like is, you know, is normalized for him. And that, like, he, he, like, that's where he is his best self or something. But instead, he's still kind of predatory in those scenes. Like, like the scenes of him just, like, kind of, like, voyeuristically like looking into a window at like a sexy young dude that he has a crush on or like, you know, the pinball scene, he's like, the guy is just there playing a game and he's coming over oh. there and he's starting to like put his hand on him and like, like prey on this kid. And they're all That's younger dudes. Like, like it's never, it's never a situation where he's just like got a boyfriend and he's like going back and having a domestic life with this boyfriend. It's very much like he is like, he is a, a predator. Yeah. Well, push back. To your pushback, to your pushback, push, push, pushback. Um, I mean, um, yeah, no, no, I don't want to go down that road. But I was going to say, like, you know, being gay does not give you a license to be a good person necessarily. Like, it doesn't give you no, like no, a, no, 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 like, no. But that's not the so point. Like, the you point, can the be point is, if this is the bad. only portrayal of that thing and it's an evil portrayal, you are demonizing that. 
Well, I didn't notice the the checking out the person on the stoop during the speech. And that's really interesting that you bring that up because I was thinking that because at this point in the story on first watch, we didn't we don't know that he's gay. It's very early on in this character's introduction. And when he sees that kid on the balcony start to leave the balcony and then return, you're right. I didn't notice that he was kind of looking with this sort of predatory gaze. What I interpreted from that was this guy seeing to some degree that this message is resonating with people. Mm. Like that's how I took it. And I think it was incorrect. Yeah, I don't think but I think, I think the all. scene's doing two things there. I think it is showing that what this person is saying, who's about to get assassinated um, is, is hitting people. But then I think also it's saying like this character is, is yeah. But even before that, the movie sets him up as a, a, a really like, just dangerous person like he's he's beating no but i'm saying like (laughs) like the movie goes out of its way to show him like beating up women and like like doing stuff like like that the initial brawl that happens between the two sides um he he, he's like kicking and and pushing like women in the fight like no one else is shown doing that like it's like i everything in this movie is pointing to this this character being demonized partially because of his homosexuality right so would you find it less offensive if he was straight and kicking women or is yeah it because then it's just then the... it's just a dude who's just a psychopath but it, it is that no but it, but okay but my point is dude why does it have to be both why can't it be one or the other like like if you're going like i think it's really t- it's, it's a touchy subject area to be dabbling into to be conflating those two things you don't like like there you have to understand that like if your only character in the movie that is homosexual is being portrayed as this insanely psychopathic person then the correlation naturally that is is derived from that is he is homosexual therefore he is psychopath like it, it is tying those two things together subconsciously or consciously whatever you want to do like that that is that what what is happening there it's it's otherizing him further yeah, I mean, I will circle back to say that on first impression, and I think I still feel this way, I felt uncomfortable about it. But um, I think where we will disagree is I don't think that's a way to craft story. Like, you shouldn't, like, it, there are people who are gay and are psychos. No shit. And, like, you but can have but a that, character I'm, like I'm not that saying in your that. story. I'm, I'm, that's but not you, the and point. you don't have to balance it out with having a good gay character. Like that's not how you build story. I'm not. I'm not saying that, dude. I'm saying that it's dangerous to make that the only portrayal of that thing when that is an already marginalized and demonized part of society. Okay. You're doubling down on that. You're 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 mm-hmm. tr- you're giving. It's a dog whistle for people who are already homophobic. Any other characters you want to shout out before we move on? Um, I think I want to just do like a rapid fire run through of some of these characters because there's so many and we're going to give them kind of silly, goofy nicknames. Um, we talked about we actually we haven't really talked about this guy. There's calm guy. That's what I'm calling calm guy. C-A-L-M. And this is before Z gives his speech and things are starting to, to bubble and percolate and boil in terms of the restlessness of the crowd and the police's plans are in motion. He's the person who call who is kind of calling for pacifism and peace consistently throughout the movie. There's that guy who gets chased down by the car. 
I'm calling him fiery guy. He yeah. tends to be the more kind of not paranoid, but he's just always looking for a way to lash out. We're talking the about more. the calm guy is the guy who looks like Ryan O'Neill. Yes. Who is Ryan O'Neill? Wait a minute. I think I think from Barry Lyndon. Yes. Yes, paper, yes. 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 Paper yes. Moon. And yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's who I'm talking about. Like, I really like him. I think he's charismatic and believable and seems like sort of like a little bit of a MLK sort of vibe in terms of like peace at all costs. Uh, this is that's obviously from a very American perspective, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and then I like I like fiery guy, too. I think he's justified and interesting and kind of continuing to do just hit. Stop me if you want to kind of explore any of these people. Uh, he's the guy beyond. who kind of looks like Rami Malek. Yeah, he's got curly hair. His yeah. suit gets muddied from the pursuit of the vehicle. And like, uh, again, he's always promoting action or striking back generally is his sort of predisposed uh, position. Mm-hmm. I like him a lot, too. Uh, we already talked about the magistrate. But I do want to say unbelievable performance. And whenever I see a calm, intelligent person, I'm so prone to this mistake of just being like, oh, reminds me of Gary Oldman in The Bridge of Spies. Or not Bridge of Spies. It reminds me of Gary Oldman in uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It's like whenever I see a calm, smart person, I'm like, there it is. Um, But this one really did. Oh, man, dude, it's 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 an okay movie and a stupendous performance. Um, but that one really, like, it did seem like Gary Oldman was mining this because the guy is so reserved and observant and calm. And we're introduced to him. We don't really know kind of what his deal is. But it becomes clear that he seemingly is going to be taking this case seriously and and delivering it to its end. And um, I just love that about the the character. Like, we, we get finally get someone to really... Well, we've had characters to root for, but like someone is actually pursuing the truth and really going for it is great to see. And he has that moment of being really tested by the DA at the end of the movie, who right. pretty much gives him like that list of witnesses to use and your career will be destroyed. And it he he sees it through, even though by the end of the film it doesn't really pan out. He has his moment of courage and bravery. Uh, which is which was great to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really he kind of stole the movie from me. I think you know who stole the movie from me is the photojournalist. Really, I think he's so great in this movie. Um, mm. He going uh, through our lookalikes comparison, he looks so much like Diego Luna. It kind of threw me off at first. I think he looks like the fifth Beatle. Sure, yeah, a little like, bit he of just that. Looks like so much like you know. The guy who was there before Ringo or something like I don't even, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. He just he looks like a young Diego Luna to me, but um, but I don't know. I, I think like his uh, the journalistic bent that he has of just like I need to get to the bottom of the truth no matter what. Um, mm. I think is really it's really cool, and I you know you know me I love I love good portrayals of journalists, uh, even though I feel like journalism is an art that's getting lost slowly, but surely. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, the loss of paper is, has been tough on it. How do you feel about his constant clicking the way, like even the wife in mourning, he's snapping pictures of her in I her think he's room. He's a guy that just, he, he feels this, or this need to document. Like yeah. even, you know, even those hard moments that, that, you know, feel maybe a little bit invasive to document. I feel like he feels like that's important to telling yeah. that story. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I, you know, I think the first time you see that scene 
it does feel invasive. It does feel like he's, you know, exploiting this person for personal gain. But then when you see the, the, the way that he takes that later as he kind of further investigates, it, it feels less uh, invasive to me as, as mm-hmm. the movie goes along because it really feels like he's just like, I want to show like the the effects of this on everyone, including mm-hmm. this person, and like even if that means me taking these pictures candidly and and uh, against her wishes, mm-hmm. it's important to telling this story. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't I think know. It, it makes the character gray in an interesting way, which I like, and mostly like you know not super dark, but I like that like. But journalism he's, should be gray in some ways, yeah, in my opinion. He's, I think he's being a bit of a jackass in that scene, but he proves himself in so many other scenes. It just makes the character seem more realistic. Like this is just a downside of his character that at times he can be invasive and obnoxious, but he is working towards trying to find the truth and document it along the way. Well, and that's ultimately a and strength then, of his in, in some sense. For sure. And ultimately he gets imprisoned for exposing this stuff. At least the character. Oh, does. he doesn't he get killed. I think they, they say that he's like, uh, like, uh, he gets, he, he's reading that list off at the end of the movie at, and as like, a, as like a TV show. And then he gets replaced by a right. female voiceover. Brilliant I, choice. I'm pretty sure. I love that. Really cool. Really cool. Um, could be in discussion for best endings, like really, really good ending to this, which I know we're going to get to. But um, yeah, he is replaced. And I think the voiceover says he was imprisoned for three okay. years for exposing government documents. So he for some reason, I thought that they, they say character. something like he was uh, like he dies, but under suspicious circumstances. Many. I, maybe I had you know one. who did that was a dirty suit chased by car guy. He was one of the ones who died. Oh, from, he falls out of a window. Fell from seventh floor on during interrogation and like all these suspicious deaths. But I believe the reporter survived and was merely imprisoned. Got it. Well, in any case, I, I do yeah. really enjoy that character. I and I think I like too. it's a it's a cool cool angle on on the whole thing. But one thing I do want to call out on him, I think it's really it, it made me like actually laugh out loud. Uh, was the way that. You know, when the guy is driving him around and he's taking the the quick snapshots of, uh, you know, the various suspects, when they then later show the pictures that he captures while doing that on the move and like sometimes mm-hmm. yeah, not, yeah, e- yeah. not even looking in the viewfinder, <laughs> they're like these perfectly crafted images. Like, yeah. like the framing Dude. is, is immaculate. And like <laughs> the guy we talked about who like, we have a little bit of sympathy for his picture was like one of these from the hip, silly fake ones we're talking about. And when we see the photo, it's like a spike Lee shot, perfectly like wide angle, angle like, like, like down lit. by his knees, looking so up at him. It's like, like just the best photographer of all time. <laughs> yeah, that's just, it made me laugh really hard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cool side note is that guy was actually a producer on the film. The actor? And yeah, the actor was actually a producer of the movie and had done some like child acting and was kind of like had done some level of acting up to that point. So he wasn't a rookie, but he was also he also was a producer of this film, which Could I have fooled was really me. Cool. I mean, he he delivers a Same. really great performance in my opinion. Totally. How do think about the way he flirts with that girl at the desk? <laughs> He's just like touching her face and like playing with her hair. The guy's got some pretty Greek moves, I guess. Well, I was going to say very, like, 60s French, but yeah, sure. Yeah, very, very 60s European. Just get your hand on their face. Just pet their face unrequested. I guess that's the the qualities of being handsome. Makes the ladies swoon, huh? Yeah, I mean, he is very handsome, let's be real. That mustache is questionable, but otherwise, yeah. I endorse the mustache. You endorse the uh, dirty stash. 
And I, I went through a mustache phase. I'm glad it wasn't excessively photographed, but I, I went for it. For him, I think it's okay. Yeah, I'm in a mustache phase right now, so I get it. Yeah, but you're you're, you're balancing it with 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 spreckles, eh, which this, I like. This this goes higher or lower, but uh, yeah. yeah, there's there. You're right. There's always at least a shadow. That's I think that's in these days. Is a mustache pop on a sort of uh, five o'clock shadow foundation. I like that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's been the style for a little bit now. It's, yeah, it yeah. might be on its way out, but I'm gonna ride it. Cool. All right. Mustache Any other characters it? we want to touch on? Um, I think like, you know, that we talked a little bit about the villainous characters, the general, um, the colonel, who's kind of the guy doing all the dirty work and, and, and roping in all these these little henchmen along on the side. Um, I think they're they're properly villainous, sometimes cartoonish, like we said, but but it, it works for me. How'd you feel about when they were uh, getting uh, getting their charges levied at them individually and they're all threatening that they're going to kill themselves uh to to avoid uh to avoid the shame and then like i love the uh i I watched a quick youtube video about uh, the movie and the guy pointed out how when they leave the interrogation always try try the wrong door but but (laughs) what i i loved the way that this guy talked about it which he was saying like they're all looking for the shortcut they're all looking for the the easy way out and instead they get funneled down this other path and they have to confront the press as they do it. That's pretty good. I, did, I didn't understand why they did that. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Looking for the short way out. But it's just fun. It, but it, not it works as just a comedy <laughs> beat, but it also yeah. works as a metaphor. Yeah, dude. I, I loved all of that sort of like... You're going to jail. We got you, you son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> sort of like hero sort of like loop, well, you know. I think that just, brings us to the ending, which we should just really talk does. about it. Because yeah. I, I I love, love the way that this movie leads you down the path to be like, nope, the good guys got the bad guys. We got there. We, we got to a happy ending. Beautiful. And then immediately smash cut to the, the you know, the photojournalist on TV delivering the news of, how all of these sentences got commuted. They're all just living free and all the good guys are either dead or in jail. It's like, holy shit. You want to talk about a mic drop moment from the filmmaker. It's it's an alarming. Oh, you like this? You like this happy ending right over here? Look over here. Look over here. Nope. Yeah, (laughs) dude, it is. Rug pull. It is a total. and, And like the people you liked did what they could. And they still got fucked. And they did. It's, it's, they did everything they could. They they played they they played their hand as perfectly as they could have played it, and they still get fucked. And they still get fucked. And um, that was a really uh, somber, like sobering end of this movie that I loved. And I guess I'm drawn to dark endings. I don't know why, but like because I really like the night moves ending too. I just but like subversive was, endings that that play with your yeah. expectations. Yeah, that's that's probably really it, um, because Straight Story was an ending that I loved, and that I think has a very good ending, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Um, but point being, it's got to be on my list, and I'm right there with you. It's like we get this kind of cheerleader squad, three to four minute kind of montage with music, all these generals getting their comeuppance. Yeah, fuck you, man. Wrong door, asshole. And then, yeah. Just in the last 90 seconds, it's like, oh, wait, never mind. All these people were out very quickly, if ever they served any time. Here's a list of everything that was banned. And at the time this film came out, this was still a problem in Greece. Like this police state 
power was this sort of kind of fascist fascistic state was still in place and still imposing severe restrictions. And let's not forget that this assassination actually happened of a real person that C was sort of kind of mm-hmm. um, channeling. But uh, this is all based on, on, on truth and stunning ending. Stunning end of the movie. I'm, I, I, I totally agree. Very subversive and very effective. Yeah. Any wrap-up notes we want to get to before we call it quits on Zed? Yeah, I've got a couple of kind of wrap-up-y things here. One second. Listy list. I want to talk a little bit about the composer. And before I do, I should just check the name real quick because it's worth a shout-out. Okay, so it's music by Mikis Theodorakis. Theodorakis. Rolling Theodorakis. Rolling the dice on pronunciation there. Um, but at the time when Costa Gavras was like getting ready to make this movie or it was in the can, I don't know what stage of the process, he wanted to use this music. And at the time, the composer was jailed in Greece because, again, this is the regime is in place at the time this movie's being made. And the director had to have his wife fly to Greece under her own name because he couldn't enter the country. And she secretly met with this musician who was in a concentration camp in Greece because he was uh, outspoken against the regime. And as you would imagine, he was kind of a more kind of liberal guy. And he slipped her a piece of paper written like scrawled on it saying that they could use his music. And that was the only legally binding thing they were able to pass between the, the barriers there. So they had to sort of handshake agreement slipped on a paper out of a prison to use his music. And eventually Hmm. I think five or 10 years later, the regime did collapse and he was released the the musician behind the score. Um, Hopefully he got some, uh, some payment for his work then at that point. Yeah, I I, I hope so. And he and they actually used almost every song in this movie as one of his. The pinball, the questionable pinball machine machine scene that we talked about, that is set to this rock song that's not one of his, but I think everything else is, and one was played in reverse. Hmm. The idea director had after the guy gets bludgeoned and is walking up through that POV scene we talked about. That is one of this composer's songs played backwards just for Weird. sort of disorienting effects. So um, but I thought the music was great in this movie, and I thought that was a really cool anecdote. Like, let's not forget that this was an, uh, a living situation in Greece that they're trying to talk about in this film. Yeah. And I think it was a really important story to tell. Well, and I mean, just further reason for the, uh, the disclaimer at the beginning being like, no, this is, this is real. Mm-hmm. We're not fucking around. Yeah, this is. And I, I, like you said, I love that twist, that twist on it's, it's not a coincidence. It's an anti-disclaimer. Not, not, yeah. yeah, it's an anti-disclaimer. Um, but I think that's it for, for kind of shout-outy notes from me, Drew. Do you have any you want to hit before we kind of make our way out of this movie? No. No, I, I, I've covered pretty much everything I wanted to touch on. It's, um, I think it's a really incredible movie. It's, uh, it's one that I weirdly would feel more comfortable with uh, recommending to people who you know, don't typically watch foreign films or older films. Um, I think it's, it's, it's an incredibly engaging movie. It, it, it sucked me right in and I don't, I, I think it's like, 
it's it's always impressive to me when a movie can straddle that line between entertainment and message. And I think this movie does it better than most that I've seen. Yeah. Right there with you, man. Yeah. So that'll do it then for this episode on Zed. Shall we put something new on the board there, Jared? Oh, yes. Now you came preloaded today. I did. I did. And I gave you some clues in the chin wag before we started rolling. I'll repeat the clues because I'm feeling really good about this one. And I will be... Very surprised to find out. Re- repeat the clues this. and let me see if I can guess it based on okay. that. This film was a big movie in the 90s. Okay. I have never seen it. I don't know how I missed it, but I did. It has in it what some would consider to be one of the best actors of all time. Okay. And I don't know if you've seen it or not. So, 90s, good actor, big movie. Do you got to guess? Jesus Christ, man. I thought it was going to be a little more targeted than that. I can uh, give you a year, but I think that's going to give it away. Now, um, let me see. That you haven't seen big movie, big actor. How big are we talking? We talking? we talking Tom Hanks big, or are we talking, uh, like, I don't know, somebody that you and I would be aware of, but is not, like, mainstream big? I would say Tom Hanks big in a different way. And I would say if you asked a stranger on the street, if they'd heard of this movie, nine out of 10 would say yes, that they had heard of it. If not seen it, female or male star male. You ready? Give me a hint. All right. I'll give you the year 92. Why did you think that would give it away? I don't know. (laughs) I can't even think of movies from 92. Uh, I don't know. Give it to me. All right. The Last of the Mohicans. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you seen this? I, I don't know why you call him a big star of the 90s. He's just a like a... Daniel Day-Lewis? I mean, I'm he's just saying star. like he's not specific to the 90s in any way. But I would Most say... Most of his biggest performances came after the 90s. No, I said it was a big movie in the 90s. Oh. I, and I, would yeah, but I, I mean, think he's equal to Tom Hanks, and yeah. I think most people have heard of this movie. No, he's not equal to Tom Hanks. That is a very different type of actor. What? He's, he's an <laughs> art house actor. He's not, a, he's not like a blockbuster actor. Very different. Um, but definitely a household name. I agree yeah. with you there. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm down for it. I've seen The Last of Mohicans. I saw it uh, a few years ago. Uh, during a Michael Mann binge, um, it's yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, sure. I, I I didn't even know, I for, if I knew I forgot it was Michael Mann. One of the greatest and scores of all time. I love a good score, and we've yet to talk about in depth anyway. Daniel Day Lewis on this show. I'd love to sure. see from my perspective an earlier performance of his. Uh, and somehow it's a bit of a shamer. It's just a movie I miss. So I, I kind of want to check it out. I think it's a fun one. All right. Well, we'll dig into some Day Lewis and Michael Mann talk uh, on that one. I'm excited to get to it when we get to it. Nice. So, The Last of the Mohicans is going in at number three. I have a feeling it's going to sound good in the list, but we shall see. 
All right. Well, before you throw that dart, let's do a quick review of the board. At number one, the Brothers Bloom. Number two, Don't Look Now. Number three, The Last of the Mohicans. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Capote. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Alligator. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Dirty Dancing. Number 14, Straight Time. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days and number 20 altered states nice dude any fans you cheering for anything nope left or right left left drew the dart has spoken what did it have to say 14 one four going back to 14 we've hit it a few times it is straight time. Straight time. Okay, this has been uh, deep cutty. What I've wanted to get to for a while, dude. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman, seventies uh, thrillery kind of movie. I don't know. I'm I'm feeling good with that. Nineteen seventy eight straight time. Not available free to stream anywhere, but you can pay to rent it from a variety of places. So. If you're interested in seeing a 70s Dustin Hoffman movie, throw in a couple of bucks, maybe check it out. And next week, Will will be will be letting you know if it's worthwhile. Yes, we will. Um, this is, I think, the sixth time we've hit number 14. So it's wow. a it's definitely up there among our, our most hit numbers. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to check this one out. I, it's a movie that I honestly wasn't even aware of until you mentioned it as a potential a long time ago and it was it came down between this one and night moves and night moves went up first but i'm glad to glad to see we're finally making it to this one me too dude it'll be fleshed out next week but it is a videodrome employee recommendation so excited to check it out love that love that well that'll be next week this week that'll do it for our episode on zed Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Fascism sucks. Light up. Light up.